Hello everyone, welcome to the start of the week and the start of the week brings not the top 20 podcast. I'm Ali Maxwell and alongside me, George Ellick. Some of you might be, if you're really quick off the mark, listening via Spotify. That is the first week you've been able to do that. George has worked very hard to get us on that platform. It wasn't easy uh, for a few slightly tedious technical reasons, but we're on there now. So if you have decided that Spotify is the best place to get your podcasts, then we're on it. So go and follow us and you can listen to NTT20 forever now through Spotify. Uh, Another um, parish notice is that this week is, and I'm stealing the phrase of Liam on Twitter, uh, tripod week, by which I mean three podcasts from us this week, today's, and then on Tuesday evening, uh, something a little bit special, a little bonus podcast. We sent George up to Manchester to meet Michael Appleton. Now, there can't be many people whose name have been mentioned as many times on this podcast, especially someone who hasn't even managed or coached in the EFL for pushing 18 months. George, you went up to meet Michael, one of your favourite footballing people. Did it live up to the hype? Yeah, definitely. I hope he realised that I was some kind of fanboy before he got there. Um, But either way, he was unbelievably um, interesting, very nice um, and quite open. I think hopefully... The, uh, the interview that will come out tomorrow will show a guy who is pretty happy to to say what he thought and, and speak the truth. Um, and we spoke, we covered so many different topics. I tried to make sure that we didn't talk about Oxford too much. Um, we speak about Portsmouth, his time there. We speak about some of the managers that he knows very well who are now managing the championship from when he was manager of Oxford. Uh, we speak about his recruitment strategy. We think about we speak about what he thinks of of data uh, and how that's growing in the game at the moment. So we cover a whole range of things. I think it just comes in just under an hour, and uh, I'm really excited for everyone to listen to it. Yeah, well, many of you will have seen the teaser trailer that I put out um, on Twitter just before the weekend. But truly, I've listened through it, and George is absolutely spot on. One of the things you really hope for when you uh, interview players, managers, people involved with the game uh, is openness, and that sounds obvious, but it's not always. Uh, achieved so we're thrilled that Michael was so honest um, free of cliche and gave George so many detailed answers uh, and really think that you guys uh, will enjoy it get a lot from it and if you do uh, then let us know and we'll try and set up some further interviews thank you to Dean Eldridge from Aporto Sports for helping us set that one up we're going to get into today's podcast now the meet and drink And this week, that means League One and League Two, as we are, of course, on the international break. Uh, We asked for your questions to be sent in because uh, we've got a bit more time, of course, without the championship to talk about uh, Leagues One and Two. And you sent in questions in their droves. So uh, we're pretty much going to lucky dip, pick questions out and, uh, and approach them one by one, starting with a question from Liam, who said, if you were a championship club and could sign any League One player, who would you sign? Uh, and afterwards he said, likewise, with a League One club and a League Two player. So, George, you're in charge of a championship club's recruitment. You, you have to buy a player from League One. Where are you going? I've chosen three, just because I thought it would be horses. Oh, yeah, horses, I've got depending loads. Depending on, um, uh, I think the, maybe the most controversial one, um, which I'll start with, is, is George... Didn't think this was going to be a question that would provoke controversy. Well, it's, it's George Moncur, who's obviously you know, had a quite a fairly 
difficult spell uh, previous to his good run of form now um, and you know maybe hasn't really done it in the championship before but I think given the trend we've seen of, of certain number 10s kind of coming through uh, as they have done in the last couple of years and, and the way he's performing at the moment for Barnsley he seems like an obvious one who's got the technical ability to make the step up despite the fact that in the past um, he hasn't necessarily done it and at 25 he's the good age now where I think that he's kind of found his feet but I mean that's the one I'm least sold on the two main ones that I'm, I'm going to hang my hat on uh, Josh Madger is the first one uh, who I think it's pretty obvious um, when you're, you're, you're leading the, the goal scoring charts at the age of 19 with very little professional football under mm. your belt um, he's a massive massive prospect and, and is a guy who looks set to score a lot of goals and then Matt Clark's the other one uh, nice. from, yeah he's on my list as well there you go yeah the Pompey centre back only 22 years of age played a lot of football now um, and is consistently very very solid so yeah my three are Monker, Clark and Madger but I think uh, Clark and Madger are the two that I'm keener on I could see Monker at uh, a QPR or a maybe higher up maybe even a Bristol City I feel like his sort of socks down approach would work quite well there <laughs> uh, and their style of play mine are well as you've mentioned Matt Clark there when you see Pompey make mistakes at the back which is rare this season uh, it tends to be whoever's partnering him at centre back rather than Clark himself almost flawless uh, all of the time uh, I've gone for Alex Cairns in goal at Fleetwood uh, a bit like Monker this is sort of a bit of recency bias uh, given his how, how much he featured on the highlights show this weekend um, Cairns with a sensational stop uh, in goal for Fleetwood on the weekend to, to get the win against Shrewsbury but it's not just that I mean he does it time and time again and I think that as goalies go he'd be pretty comfortable at a, at a higher level attacking players I've banged on about Carl and Grant enough um, but of course his, uh, f- from my point of view his, his mixture of skill pace um, and uh, burgeoning finishing abilities he's got some work to do in the air but um, I think as a mobile forward who are all the rage at the moment he's a, a, a great prospect and Jamal Lowe as well I mean there was a, a moment in the game on the weekend where he he beat a man as if he wasn't even there sprung into space just showed brilliant acceleration I think that Lowe's development since he joined Pompey from non-league has been so encouraging that you you sort of wonder whether he could go again and play at a higher level Um, certainly for any counter-attack minded team in the championship I think he'd be an interesting shout of course Ronan his teammate has, has been grabbing headlines as well a bit more of a technical player but you know by by no means slow uh, what about if you were a league one uh, head of recruitment uh, or manager you were dipping down into league two who'd you be looking at yeah i was i was kind of relying on you to have shandon baptiste in there i'm a bit gutted he didn't but uh, oh yeah but um no in fairness <laughs> i think he's one for the future um and sean mccombell was another one i was going to mention in league one as well but he just that finish on the weekend i feel like i've seen him do that about 20 times in the last year he picks out the far corner like no one I've seen at that level. Yeah. But on to, as you mentioned, League Two, uh, two goal scorers here. Um, I think Jaden Stockley is going to get his chance very, very soon, whether it's for Exeter or, uh, or if he does get poached in, in January. And James Norwood, the other one, who, you know, at 28 years old, he's hardly a spring chicken, but I think his, his goal scoring form and rate at, his, at both Forest Green and out at Tranmere shows that he's someone who's ready to make the step up. And uh, and I think we've seen it before you know, strikers maybe who aren't that young but who started scoring goals at level progress and have really good later careers high up the pyramid. So uh, Norwood and Stockley are my two both strikers. Nice. I've got two goalkeepers uh, in mind: um, Christy Pym of Exeter and Glenn Morris of Crawley. Now, 
I'm not going to pretend that I watch these two goalkeepers, uh, you know, full 90 minutes. I'm not going to pretend I'm the greatest judge of goalkeepers that there is because we know that it's not just shot-stopping, command of area, communication, all those sorts of things. But, you know, from the shot-stopping aspect, the reflexes uh, and the handling, I think that these guys stand out week to week. Um, Pim's saves are are a big reason why Exeter are, are where they are this season. And has developed so well over the last few years, having come through the youth system. Uh, And Morris as well, he just seems like a bit of a colossus in goal for Crawley. So those are the goalies. I think that Danny Mayer and and Nicky Law are probably the the best midfield players in League Two this season. Uh, Both of them, you know, in in the mid to high 20s, I think. So you wouldn't necessarily be looking at them as, as someone with a huge amount of resale value at this stage, but just as pure contributors, I think that those guys could make the step up. Um, Dan Butler at Newport is someone that I like, the left back. Uh, and then, I mean, watching that, those Colchester highlights on the weekend, we'll touch on them a bit later on. But, I mean, how many of those Colchester players are, are, are looking in fantastic shape at the moment? Not least Harry Pell. He's just a different man than he was at Cheltenham, playing a, a different role. Um, but Courtney Senior is a guy that, you know, I want to see him stay in League Two for a full season, maybe another one. But I think he's got a pretty high ceiling. Um, and Ryan Jackson at right back as well. So plenty of, plenty of options there. So, you know, make sure you're taking notes. Um, January transfer window, not far away. So you can start prepping for that. We got a question from Ollie Walker, excellent um, League One analyst. He asked about some of the managers in League One, and it was a brutal question. He just said, League One managers in or out? Ardley, Clark, Lovell. So the manager of Wimbledon, Neil Ardley, Bristol Rovers, Daryl Clark, and Gillingham, Stuart Lovell. It's, it's not an easy conversation to have, is it? But... Starting with Lovell at Gillingham, a bit of a weird one, such a good start to the season, a terrible run, and then a, an amazing win out of nowhere at Fratton Park, and then a, a disappointing home defeat against Southend on the weekend. What are your thoughts, Re Lovell and Gilles, at, at this time? On the face of it, I would be, he would be the one that I'd be most concerned about, and I'd be looking to, uh, to maybe say it's time to move on, purely because he's had less of that kind of historic success than the other two. But I read his quotes from after the, the South End loss and there's something in there that gives me a bit of hope. Um, he seems pretty, uh, not upbeat, but he's, he kind of comes out fighting and he says that he doesn't believe that they were right to lose. He said they rose their, they rode their luck in the first half. Um, you can half and puff and have 60% of possession and more attempts in goal, but it doesn't count for anything if you lose the game. I'm so disappointed. But it suggests to him that he doesn't, he's not dejected. He doesn't, doesn't think that the performances are without hope. Um, and you also look at towards the end, he said... We had a go. We tried to play right to the end. We had chances. Tommy's had two or three. Mark, Mark Byrne had a header. Bradley Stevens had a great shot saved. I won't put the blame on my players. They did everything they could to get a result. So I think normally when you're seeing a team go through a rough patch and, and really struggle, I think the writing's on the wall when the manager seems I, without any ideas, without any ideas of what's going wrong. But here it, it seems like a guy who, who's still pretty focused and I don't know, maybe there's enough in there. If, if, his, um, if the way he's assessing their performance is correct... Then, uh, then I think you stick a little bit longer. Yeah, I, I'm with you there, definitely. I think that his record since he, he started as caretaker has been perfectly good and excellent at times. And of course, there have been some, some poor runs, but let's not pretend that this is a, a squad filled with, with excellent players at this level. I think we've seen that when Parrott plays, uh, when Eves is on form, this is a, a, you know, a team that can challenge anyone. But, um, you know, in its normal guise, this isn't an exceptional team. And I think that. He certainly, I think it would be, would be pulling the trigger a bit too early to get rid of him at this point. Um, you talked about the way that managers talk after a defeat. 
uh, Neil Ardley after the game on Saturday, he said something along the lines of, uh, we didn't turn up in the first half and I'm at a, a loss to why. And Ardley's also at the stage where he's, he's really referencing his Wimbledon pedigree a lot at this stage. He, he's always referring to how he's a Wimbledon boy and how he's been there, uh, you know, as a player, a long time as a manager. You, you can understand why, but I think that as a fan, certainly, you want to be hearing a bit more about the performance of the team, maybe a bit more responsibility being taken for, for, for the terrible run of results rather than just constantly reminding people of your, of your past. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess so. I, I think he has every reason to be pretty frustrated by, by the game of the weekend where, as he said, they were completely outplayed. I mean, they didn't get a kick in the first half and then they were unquestionably the better team in the second half. Um, so it must be annoying, especially when you've got one of the best teams in the league and you play them off the park for 45 minutes and you end up losing the game 2-1. Um, but I, I kind of agree with you. I think with, with AFC Wimbledon, it's one of, one of those classic ones where if he is to get the sack... If, if they are going to get rid of him, it's only because he's done such a good job for so long. I mean, I'm personally of the opinion that he should have the opportunity to bring them back to this level if, mm. if, he, if they do go down because it's, it's because of his time in charge. It's because of his stewardship that the club's in the position that it's in. I mean, every season they go into the, the campaign as one of the favourites to go down. Their budgets aren't, you know, you can't compare them to most of the teams in the league nor, nor their attendances either. So I guess one of the questions is that I've seen on Twitter and um, nine Years Podcast, which is a, a Wimbledon podcast, tweeted us about this, saying, you know, he's the, he's the third longest serving manager in the Football League, growing pressure from fans, eight defeats in the last 10. But the key question that I think has caused some debate amongst the fans is they recognise that the budget has been poor, um, but this is Ardley's recruitment, uh, supposedly. So the question remains, despite the poor budget, is there someone that, that we think could do better with that budget? And that's where I'm not really sure... I, I look at this team and think that the way that they're going to be successful is, and it sounds a bit weird because it's a bit of an intangible thing, is by how they've had success before is by the, the spirit that they've created within the club since they had to reform. I'm not saying that they, you know, their time in non-league, they, they probably did have the best squads in the league for the most part, but in League Two, they were able to get promoted. And a, and a big part was that sort of Accrington fever that you see. Just... Getting together as a club and and doing better things than expected, I feel like they've got to try and find that. And having someone like him, who knows the club, makes that more possible. But it comes back to: could someone do a better job with the squad at disposal, or at building a better squad? I, I mean, I'm sure there are people who probably could get more points from now to the end of the season than Neil Ardley. But you're just taking a massive risk by by allowing him to leave. You know, they're still outside the relegation zone. I don't really understand what success is this season unless it's just staying up mm. um, and just basically maintaining League One status until there's time to grow, probably when the new stadium um, comes, into, comes into play. So, and as you mentioned, it's so important to their successes is having a guy at the helm who embodies what the club used to be and, and they want still to be. So, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely would, wouldn't want Ardley to leave if I was a fan. But, you know, football fans are are all pretty similar where if the results aren't great and the performances aren't great what you've done in the past basically goes out of the window mm. pretty quickly yeah so um yeah spot on I, I i sort of i think of a team like millwall who has to my eyes um some some half decent strikers a squad that lends itself to 4-4-2 which i think wimbledon's does with hansen and piggott um up front as a possible duo and i wonder whether there's a way of, of trying to 
you know, not replicate Millwall as a club necessarily, but just as a, as a style and as a, a way of, of getting at teams because um, it worked for Millwall at, at League One level and it has continued to do so at Championship level. Of course, it's not easy to replicate other teams, but that that's how I envisage this Wimbledon team, this Wimbledon team being a better team. That's how I see them um, on the pitch if I'm if I'm thinking of them getting better, moving towards the the middle of the table. But have they got that intensity? I, I haven't seen that um, uh, this season, certainly. Anyway, I, I don't personally think there's another manager that could come in now and change things drastically uh, in terms of building a, another squad with the budget. Um, it's really hard to say because those managers are, are like gold dust and they tend to move up pretty quickly. Um, moving on, lastly, to Daryl Clark. What a miserable, miserable few weeks it's been for Clark and for Bristol Rovers. Um, a pretty meek, insipid loss on the weekend, another loss to nil. Uh, this is a team that looked like they lacked uh, quality going forward to start the season. Um, the, the arrival of Stefan Payne seemed to have m- made that situation a little better, but as Fox Punter and Mike Holden tweeted, the recent numbers make for very grim reading. No goal in the last four, only a 39% share of the XG in their games against Bradford, Rochdale, Walsall and Burton. These are teams that they would expect to compete with. And um, that performance at the Pirelli on the weekend against a, a Burton side that has Lucas Aikins up top and, and Boyce missing through injury was unacceptable, really. So it's not a dissimilar conversation, is it, to the one about Neil Ardley um, with a few different wrinkles. We're not necessarily talking about a club legend from, from decades, but we are talking about a man that you have to discuss with... with the job that he has done and the the body of work that he has behind him in Daryl Clark. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that there's no way he should get sacked. I mean, if that that would be absolute lunacy in my in my mind. You know, we we were sitting here talking to him what about three or four months three months ago, and we were talking about how important he is to the whole football club, not just the on the pitch stuff, and about how he was a championship manager in waiting. I mean, it's, it's mid-October and they've gone on a run where they've lost two games in their last seven in all competitions. Obviously, the scoring issues are issues, but the players they've lost have been so valuable to them and having to com- uh, consistently recycle the squad. He, he deserves so much time to get this right. And he is, in my view, mind, like a definite one where if they did get relegated, he should be still at the reins next season if they could keep him. Mm. Um, you know, the, the, the manager who I think we should be talking about if he should stay or go is, is Derek Adams at Plymouth. Right. Um, where, I mean, that is a guy who looks fairly dejected and that's where the recruitment last summer looks absolutely terrible. Yeah. The players they brought in. So, yeah, I mean, with Clark, I'm, I, I mean, let's just say this. If Clark left Bristol Rovers and, and Oxford's results continue the way they were, then there's one man I'd want, <laughs> I'd, nice. want, I'd want to be coming in. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Big old caveats. Uh, Kelvin actually tweeted in. I think Kelvin's a, a Bristol Ro- uh, City fan. Uh, and he said, I'm no Rovers fan, but Clark can only do so much. Look at the players he's lost without being allowed to reinvest. Um, you're looking at, uh, obviously, Ellis Harrison, um, previously Billy Bowden and, and Matty Taylor. Um, High-profile signing Tom Nichols has obviously just not provided the goals. I think that's been an issue over the last 18 months. Uh, club losing between one and two million pounds per annum. That, that's what Kelvin says. I'm, I can't say that I can ratify that. But uh, new stadium plans with uh, Bristol UWE, the university shelved. And training facilities inadequate. Uh, Daryl pretty much said that himself when he was on the podcast. So um, you can see that the, 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 I guess the circumstances don't appear to be in place for a, um, a team 
or rather a manager to be able to work in conditions conducive to, to a team, you know, moving upwards. And don't forget the, was it a double promotion? Was it back-to-back? Uh, Rovers is, yeah. yeah. There you go. So, uh, again, I think we, we, we both fall on the side of keeping Daryl Clark. I know that Mike Holden, whose opinion we respect a lot when it comes to managers, uh, remains a huge fan. And, um, yeah, so I think we're falling on the side of the manager's all the way just a quick one on Derek Adams because uh, you were at the, the, the Plymouth Oxford game on the weekend 2-0 to Oxford uh, really terrible first half performance from Plymouth but you talk about poor recruitment um, in their team I'm struggling to think of a player you know we always talk about let's say Kerry Lemires that's pretty much it is there, is there anyone else in that team that looked good that I mean, looked they're, the part they're, they're absolutely terrible I mean I'm obviously delighted that Oxford got the result but not for one minute. That was I, the main takeaway. Yeah, I mean, they were just... I mean, the first half, a couple of dodgy moments at the back for uh, for Oxford meant that Plymouth had a couple of sniffs at chances, but nothing really. I mean, Simon Eastwood barely made a save. Then second half, I mean, it was just completely one-way traffic. You'd have had no idea that one team was chasing the game and the mm. other one was, was on, was, had a one-goal lead. Um, they, would, they just looked completely devoid of, of confidence and of ability. I mean, Graham Carey, I'm a huge fan of. He was just, like, so pedestrian... Like really lacked any quality. Ladapo looked quite lively, but again, I mean, as we know with him, um, when it gets to the shooting part, he's not particularly good at it. Um, at the back, I mean, Edwards looked so clumsy. It was just incredible to really see um, how clumsy he looked, um, especially for the first goal. I mean, Ashley Smith-Brown, we've spoken about, he was on Oxford last season. He should have been sent off about four times um, and then he had to be hooked because it was just, I mean, how the referee, how many last mornings do you get? And then Songu got sent off, which was, again, no surprise at all, just going driving into a tackle. Yeah, he looked like he, w- he almost wanted to. As he was lining that up, it was like, I can either slow down here and jockey, or I can just go it was also, all it was, out. It was very clever from Mackie, who basically just waited and waited and waited to get his nick on the board, and then just basically just waited for the tackle. And then, nice. Um, so, well, not yeah. good. Not good for Argyle. Well, I, I just think that, that... And Adams, after the game, basically just, just said that... He said that it was it was the the, the experience of Mackie and Holmes that just meant that we had something that they didn't have, which I guess is fair enough. But you know, you're looking at a team there who who the majority of which played in League One last season and and, and did very well and had a run towards the playoffs. So he that was an interview which sounded more like a guy who who was just basically out of ideas. Mm. Um, and you know, if you take out that incredible run last season, Plymouth have been a poor team for a long time now. So yeah, spot on. Well, we've got a few more teams in League One to rattle through. First up, uh, Tom was very excited about Luton on Saturday, despite their loss against Barnsley. Um, Tom said, on the basis of Saturday, how close are Luton to competing for promotion again? But we've heard from Luton fans all season, really, pointing out that the games in which they've lost or, or drawn have generally been against the teams who are occupying the top sort of four or five positions, and the majority of those being away from home. So just based on, on that performance on the weekend, where they, by his admission, Nathan Jones didn't play that well, but but you know, weren't a million miles away, um, can they compete for promotion? Yeah, I mean, they definitely can. Um, the, the key to them competing for, for a promotion spot, whether that's automatically or via the playoffs, is going to be their away form, which has been really, really poor for a long time now. And you've, you've got to be confident that their, their form at Kendall with Road will hold up. It has done over a long time, especially with Nathan Jones in charge. 
Um, and you're looking at the last two away games, a, a win at Oxford, and then, a, you know, what was a good performance against Barnsley, despite the fact, you know, after the 20th minute or whatever, they won the game 2-1, um, which, which says something, because a lot of teams, although Barnsley's home form has, has been fairly ropey, they're still a very good team, and, uh, and they can take big heart from that performance. Yeah. So, and you're looking at the next two games up, Walsall and Accrington, I mean, it's a bit of a cliche, and it's something I've said a fair bit, but I think we're going to really understand just where Luton are going to, kind of be fighting this season after those two games because six points will put them right in amongst it and it'll be beating two teams who are going to finish you know mid-table probably at worst and uh, and if they drop points then uh, then maybe they're not quite the finished article yet but but I do think they're well set for, for a challenge at that, least. that's exactly that phrase unfinished article I think that's where I I fall here um I messaged Tom uh, actually on, on Saturday and said <laughs> they strike me as the type of team that will you know that'll be probably good for a playoff push possibly fall just short um, and who dependent on Nathan Jones staying and dependent on some some summer, summer signings and possibly upgrading a few areas of the pitch where they might still have let's say League 2 players whereas they have a lot of very good League 1 players maybe not a full squad if they can turn that around uh, over the summer then this is the sort of team I see just falling short this year and then really kicking on next year possibly a la Pompey this season but very impressive um, another big I just, and I'll also say that for them a massive positive is going to be having Danny Hilton back up front who came off the bench against Barnsley mm. he's been out for a couple of weeks now and was you know incredibly important to their promotion last season and um, and him and Collins together is you know will be one of the uh, strike duos that, that opposition defenders don't look forward to facing and uh, and his return I think can only be a good thing for them yeah well I, I seem to remember at the end of last season I, I thought that he would probably be bought by a League 2 club I think Mansfield was my main <laughs> guess because I felt like he just loved scoring goals in League 2 and was a bit of a, a sort of League 2 specialist but uh, time for him very much to prove me wrong I think at this stage next up Bradford where David Hopkin is having a tough time uh, James tweeted us to say can you talk about Bradford being utterly rubbish and Dean Gripton said the biggest story of the League One season for him is unfurling at Bradford where rumours are already surrounding Hopkins' future um, that would be pretty ridiculous wouldn't it rumours surrounding Hopkins' future at this stage I feel like everyone more or less knows that it's not going to be his fault that, that results have been poor over the last month I think the biggest issue for me, I mean, you're right. I mean, I definitely don't think he should get the sack. But I think that if if he does, <laughs> then you're seeing an absolutely absurd churn of managers um, under the current owner. There'll be four, I think, and, you know, it must be four in about 25 games mm. dating back to, to when McCall was sacked. So uh, given the, the form itself, um, I think that Bradford have to realise that now that, that finishing above the relegation zone on goal difference would be a yeah. good season now. And for that reason, you've got to either invest in the guy you've got at the helm, or, or you've got to you've got to switch. And if, if you're going to switch, then why did you appoint the guy in the first place? Yeah. Um, so I think just for the sake of the stability of the football club, they've got to got to keep some faith in Hopkin and give him time to try and turn that around. Yeah, it feels like the bigger change would be at board level, either uh, a change in um, a change in vision from the current owner, a change in philosophy and a change in in the way that he's currently working or uh, a change of owner I think would be preferable for for many Bradford fans it seems like the current owner came in from Germany basically thinking that he knew everything um, and and quite clearly didn't or hasn't been able to put it into practice uh, which 
you know, sometimes we might laugh at people who say, oh, you need someone who need, knows the league and um, you, you can't just come in and expect to do well at, at this level. When, when we hear that about players and managers, I think we laugh. But in terms of foreign owners, it, it's, it's a massive thing. I remember, we, we, you know, there have been owners who have come in and made an attempt to understand the difference in cultures of English football and the way in which teams are run, especially at League One and League Two level, where, you know, the, the sort of processes the sort of structures at board level as well are just simply not the same uh, anyway it strikes me that you know like we've seen before we've got a, a chairman coming in uh, essentially having difficulties getting to grips with english football uh, and reacting in and this is the big thing the reaction of of that to react in such a stubborn defensive way um to to say that you give managers time and then prove the opposite it's uh, it's hugely detrimental to the success of this club and it would be incredibly sad to see it continue because it's it's not on but and you're also getting to the stage where if if they were to sack Hopkins now why would any manager take that job yeah i mean you you're you're, you're just asking for trouble i mean you've it, got to give him you've got to give him at least you know a window mm. because as you say who on earth are you going to get in what who do you turn to then what sort of manager what what do you think is going to work at that stage yeah um what about uh Accrington Stanley Alex has asked, can they keep up this form because it is a hell of a run of form? A little blip against Shrewsbury the other week when their, their goalkeeper was sent off after 20 minutes. Um, aside from that, I think it's just defeat on the opening day. And that is quite remarkable. Um, can they challenge for a, a playoff spot? I think last week you said the position might be flattering them, but I wonder what it would take for that for them to change your mind. Yeah, I think that's probably a bit harsh to be honest um, I've, I kind of had a look after I, I said that at the numbers and their, their defensive uh, numbers in terms of, of chances conceded um, and the XG conceded is, is very very good indeed uh, that Bradford goal was the first goal they conceded in three game, in four games I think it was in the league um, but the mightily impressive thing for me is after you, know, you often see people going on these runs and, uh, and then when they get that loss, it's hard to bounce back with, with, a, with a win. I think probably playing the worst team in the Football League midweek helped that, even if it was in the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the um, checker trade. Um, and getting that 4-1 win probably got them back on the straight and narrow and having a couple of home games as well helps. But the way that they, you know, they, they bounced back from that disappointment of losing the run with a resounding victory again, um, I, I just don't see any reason why they can't um, mount a challenge. We, we, you know, overperforming their wage bill and you know the the quality of the players on paper is nothing new to to Accrington and to John Coleman. So, you know anyone out there who thinks that little old Accrington can't can't be a force in League One, um, I mean any teams going into matches with that mentality, I think are going to come unstuck. But having said that, too, you know very very tough games coming up now against Peterborough and Luton. But if they can come away from those two games still in amongst it, then you've got to fancy them. Yeah, Zanzala has been a, um, a big plus the last few weeks. Took him. A while, I think, to find his shooting boots at Accrington. But, uh, as I mentioned on the betting show last week, his ability to basically stretch defences. He actually started on the weekend. I thought he might come off the bench where he can do quite a lot of damage with his pace. But uh, he was in behind. He finished well. And, and um, you know, to have someone who can take the, the scoring load off Billy Key uh, will be huge for them. Uh, last team to touch on, Coventry. George Liam wonders what their chances of finishing in the top six are. Uh, there are quite a lot of teams that we seem to be talking about at the top of League One about promotion battles and playoff places, but there's only six teams that can get them. So what about Coventry? I mean, I'm less, I'm less old, to be honest. Um, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Mark Robbins and, and the trajectory they're on is, is just fantastic. And, and given the age of the squad, 
Um, you can only see them uh, just continuing to improve, really. But uh, as you mentioned, so many good teams up there. And, and if you're, you know, you talk about top six, if you're like, I think we agree, at least, uh, even if listeners don't, if you're giving three of those berths to Sunderland, Barnsley and Portsmouth, that only leaves three more. And then you can have posh fans listening to this saying, excuse me, where are we? You're going to have Luton fans who've just waxed lyrical about it's going to be pretty tough for them, um, but it's you know it's been a great start to the season, and, and yeah, I mean not for me quite, but uh, you can't rule them out. Yeah, uh, Chaplin with the winner on the weekend, what a signing he's been. Dujon Sterling, highly rated fullback on loan from Chelsea, I think appears that in the last few weeks he's really started getting to grips with adult football, and it was a sixty-yard run down the right. Um, energy, stamina, pace and an excellent cross to pick out Chaplin as well so uh, very impressive stuff Uh, the last thing on League One is something I'm just going to flag up unfortunately we're not going to discuss it at length because it's something that um, we want to flag up and maybe start the conversation on on Twitter here Um, Andy asked as a Pompey fan he wanted some analysis on why we're so good away from home and struggle against more limited sides Uh, my my point was going to be how strong they their attacking players are on the counter-attack and possibly um, a relatively defensively sound side might find it more difficult to break teams down and and maybe a lack of creativity through the middle of midfield uh, would be a reason for that. But Rob chimed in and said, the away versus home record thing is quite interesting. It's not just Portsmouth. In fact, 14 teams in League One have a better points per game ratio away than they do at home, including Barnsley, Doncaster, Fleetwood, Peterborough, Southend and Walsall. And Matt chimed in. He did the numbers. Yes, this is interesting. Why are League One teams so rubbish at home or so good away? And if you look at the three leagues, you've got percentage of away wins in the Championship, 26%. In League Two, 31%. In in League One, 36%. That is more away wins this season in League One than home wins, which is at 34%. So uh, something to look at, possibly just a quirk, possibly um, a big gap between... Uh, the, the, the better teams and the worst teams in the division. Uh, let us know what you think on Twitter at NTT20Pod. This is the type of thing that needs a bit more digging than we were able to do uh, w- when the topic was flagged it, up. But it's it, definitely interesting. It also doesn't help that you and I went to go and see live Portsmouth's best display of Hatton Park this season by Miles, where they were completely dominant. So, <laughs> so yeah. we're probably not the best people to ask. But, but, but it, it, the fact is, I guess it's going to be a statistical anomaly where three teams in the league in, in Barnsley, uh, Peterborough and Portsmouth are picking up more points away from home than they are at home, which is going to skew it a bit. And you'd have to think that over the course of the season, it'll, it'll even itself out somewhat. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll move on to League Two now. Corey has come straight in with the big question. George, 6-2 winners at Port Vale on the weekend. Lincoln, I've, I'm not sure I've ever seen a team score that many goals from set pieces in one game. I think it was five out That's of their six goals. Absurd. Uh, who uh, Mike uh, Holden tweeted, and this is the type of thing that he would notice that we might not, that Port Vale actually played four centre-backs with the idea behind it being to, to stop Lincoln's set-piece threat. And they conceded five goals. Absolutely sensational. So Corey's question is, who is most likely to stop Lincoln to the title? I still think MK Dons, just about. Um, I know they haven't quite had, you know, they haven't, Picked up the same amount of points as, as extra on Newport. They're currently sitting fourth, um, but I, I just have a feeling. I mean, Exeter are, are a team who we have to, based on the shot data, we have to expect um, to to drop down the league a bit. I mean, their shot ratios I think has them about seventeenth 
So that it just seems very unlikely they're going to continue to pick up points the way they are. Newport as well would be a huge effort for them to sustain this. Um, I know you were going to talk about another team in a second, but just with MK Dons, as I mentioned in the, in the midweek pod, as did yourself um, when we were tipping them up to win on the weekend, which they obliged, um, they just seem like a team who, with the new manager coming in in the summer, um, it took a little bit of time to bed in. Not disastrously, obviously, they still picked up points mm. early on in the season, but now it, it does feel like they're very, very solid at the back. I mean, they haven't conceded a goal in their last four games in all competitions. Um, they're picking up wins now and they're scoring more goals. They, they don't think they've drawn a blank now since, I mean, for a long, long time, uh, back a nil-nil draw against Crew, I think, in, in mid-August. Um, so it just feels like everything's now clicking into gear. They, yeah. they were the, the, you know, the title favourites along with Lincoln at the, at the beginning of the season. Um, and it just feels like they're the team trending upwards and it wouldn't surprise me at all to see those two battling it out. Although, you know, Lincoln do now have a seven-point head start. But but yeah, MK Dons are the ones I would expect to probably throw down the challenge. Yeah, of course, it seems unlikely at this stage that anyone will catch Lincoln. They've got the best points per game record across the EFL. 10 wins from their 13 games uh, already this season, which is a fantastic record. Uh, Exeter, you touched on there, I've been impressed with. I I wanted to flag up Tranmere, who have have slid into fifth place. Uh, They are eight points behind Lincoln, but very much in the automatic promotion uh, race. And they've had a really tough fixture list. I was looking after their win on Friday, 1-0. They won on Friday night, and it was... Harvey Gilmore, who's on loan from Sheffield United, doing the business there. Two goals and an assist against Morecambe last weekend. And he scored the winner from the edge of the box on Friday night. But Reed Tranmere, very tough fixture list they've had. Must be one of the toughest in the league. And they have only lost two. Uh, one of them was against Swindon. They were 2-0 up after 12 minutes before a, a man was sent off and they fell apart, lost 3-2. And the other one was a, a 0-1 loss to Newport from a set piece, which is pretty standard stuff. So they're into fourth... Uh, no, they're into fifth, I should say. But competitive in every game, not conceding many goals. They've obviously got Norwood, who you mentioned earlier, and it seems like uh, a few others chipping in now. Mickey Mellon, a manager that we like a lot. So uh, I just wanted to flag up uh, Tranmere because they, they've, you know, it was a quiet-ish start to the season but I think that they're really clicking and, and they've grown into a, a, a very solid League 2 team. Uh, we didn't mention Colchester there, but Richard asked, are Cole Yu and John McGreal the real deal? John McGreal. <laughs> <laughs> um, a, a very eye-catching win, wasn't it, on the, on the weekend? And a, an extended highlights package as well. The, the cameras were there to see it. Yeah. Um, it, it, yeah, I, I think you've got to be impressed with them, not just this season, but also last season as well, where they're a team who, who always seem to... Um, uh, project very well in, in, the, in the underlying data where they maybe didn't pick up the points they deserve but I think that's always a very good sign sign of a good manager who's setting up his teams in a way where uh, they create chances seemingly at ease um, I think that McGreal's obviously got a really good reputation both with Colchester fans and outside oh. I was quite surprised speaking to people when he first got the job about how much positivity there was surrounding his appointment um, so it's not if you get rid of Lincoln I don't think it's a particularly strong league um, especially compared to the last couple of years so I do think a team like them who who are picking up points pretty quickly and scoring goals seemingly at will should be okay Um, it's quite bizarre to see Frank Nubel in such good form a player who I think playing off the left I think as well he's basically just consistently looked like a bit of a donkey to me a fantastic finish uh, last weekend Luke Norris is another one who I wasn't a massive fan of I mean not because he played for Swindon but just because I didn't think he was very good there and uh, and he's scoring goals at a rate that you you have to wonder whether he can keep that up having never been particularly prolific Mm. before 
Um, although 2018 is, seems to be the year of Norris. And then Sammy Smodix is, is a fantastic player. I mean, they've got a decent squad. Um, it feels like uh, it feels like McGreal is the is the glue keeping it all together and making mm. them perform to the, to the level they are. So um, I think the Colchester fans can be pretty confident of a top six finish at least. Yeah, that front four, you didn't mention Senior. I mentioned him earlier. He, he's a, a real talent, carries the ball really well. They've got presence in the centre of the park. Harry Pell, there's, there's not many bigger players in League Two. Taller, uh, better uh, than bigger. Oh, well, he's pretty big as well. He's a, you know, not, I'm not saying he's fat, but he's, you know, he's, he's got a decent... Decent mass, shall we say. I uh, don't imagine anyone's <laughs> ever said that about him before. So just a very original content as ever from NTT20. Tom Lapsley uh, alongside him, a good young player. Um, and excellent fullbacks, Ryan Jackson and Kane Vincent Young as well. So uh, it, it's, you know, there's no reason to think that Colchester can't stick around the playoff places. Uh, they've had some disappointing results. Uh, disappointing you know, relative to what we've been talking about and how highly we... We've been rating them. Uh, they have had some slightly confusing and disappointing results, which tells me that they might be just just off being the real deal, uh, John McGreal. So thanks for the question, <laughs> Richard. Um, we got one from David Anderson, big bees fan, great bees writer, excellent friend of the pod. David getting a, a, a big thumbs up from us. And it was a great question. This is the sort of thing that we really enjoy when we send out the, the, the clarion call for... Questions for the podcast. David said, if you guys replaced Phil Giles and Rasmus Ankerson as Brentford's director of football tomorrow, and there's no suggestion that we will, and we will not be commenting any more on that at this time. Um, And if Thomas Frank, the current heavy favourite to be the new Brentford manager, is hypothetically out of the picture, who would we each have as their top pick as new head coach from League One or League Two to present to Matthew Benham for final sign-off? George... The floor is yours. Interesting question, this because very interesting and because, hard to whittle it and, down. And to Matthew, one. if you're listening, I've got a job at the moment. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so in League One, I mean, it's it's a fairly boring one. This one, and I know it's early days for him, but I've gone for the Barnsley manager and Daniel Stendel, basically because he's already working in a pretty similar. Um, it's kind of. Barnsley at the moment is almost Brentford light, I would say. That's what they're trying, anyway. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, he's, he's obviously buys into the data side of things. He understands that he's a, you know, he's a coach rather than necessarily being involved in the recruitment side of things. They play very good football, similar to Brentford style. He's come in and he's made the best out of the players already available rather than necessarily being given a war chest to go and, to go and spend. Mm. Fine, it's early days and it's October and he's only managed in, the, in England for... A couple of months, but um, but yeah, Stendhal's the one I'm going for in League One and, and in League Two. This is maybe a bit of a well, it's not a surprise because of the style of football they play, but I think it have to be the Cowleys, yeah, because again, it's really intelligent guys who have made their own way at a club and completely revolutionised the club. And I'd absolutely love to see what their ceiling could be if someone as intelligent as Matthew Benham got them involved. I just and- don't buy the they've played direct football with Lincoln, so they so they would want to do that with Brentford I think crucially they're just unbelievably aware about how important it is to create chances and and good chances in football matches and they do that consistently and I think if they were given a remit to do that whilst playing very good football I'm sure they'd work out a way of doing it but then you know you look at sorry to talk about the Premier Premier League but you look at Manchester City who play fantastic football but a massive part of their game is getting their goalkeeper to smack it 90 yards up the pitch (laughs) and it's similar with that I'm sure the you know the set pieces and what they bring to the table there would be hugely valuable to anyone so well we have been asked by Lincoln fans to to make it clear that they're not a long ball team this season don't tar them with the 17-18 brush watch a Lincoln game and, and watch for yourself they're not 
long ball merchants. So please a, stop piece, saying that. A corner is kind of a long ball, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, they, they do love a set piece. Yeah, I think when you're top of the league, as, as far as they are, you, you are going to have a target on your back to an extent. Um, but yeah, you've, you've pretty much taken my picks, actually, in Stendhal Sorry. and Cowley, which is fine. <laughs> no, I mean, look, if we had that role, we would be working together. So it, that would be good for us to be on the same page uh, in certain situations. Um, I think Nathan Jones is a name that gets chucked up a little bit for this. Uh, he's clearly had an, a, a fantastic few years with Luton. Uh, I wonder whether one of the knocks on Dean Smith, and I don't necessarily buy this, is that because of his relatively uh, unabrasive demeanour, that means his, uh, you know, he doesn't uh, inspire his teams, doesn't motivate them to go and put their all on the line for the team. You, you, whether that's true or not, and I don't really buy that, um, you can't really say the same about Nathan Jones. He would build... Uh, a certain mentality amongst Brentford that I don't think they currently have that that could elevate them another level, but um, not necessarily. You know, might even have a chat with uh, Grant McCann. I mean, if only just to see what on earth he's done at uh, Doncaster uh, that he couldn't do at Peterborough, and just to see uh, just to see how how he thinks he could do. Um, that that's it. Thanks for all of your questions, guys. We've got one more topic to cover, and that is our team of the week, and it is this week, not just because George tipped them up as his nap, his best bet of the weekend. At three to one, people called him crazy. They called him absolutely. And and worse than that, they called him crazy. A three to one nap, they said. How could that possibly be? Well, I reckon you're probably on the minus one as well at around tens. And uh, there they were, 2-0 win at Carlisle. Without wanting to go over what what you predicted and, and how you discussed this game before it, uh, talk about the game after it. This Morecambe side, we were told, had injury issues, uh, many key players missing, but they know these games, don't they? They know this league. It's just amazing. If you, if you look at the league table and you cross-reference it with the four wins that Morecambe have got under their belt this season, and it's Grimsby, Macclesfield, Carlisle and, and Northampton. I mean, it's just <laughs> unbelievable, especially you know Northampton, the one team who've picked up a few points since then, well, a, a big win on the weekend at least. But when they played them, um, they were certainly pretty lowly. It, it's you know, it's unbelievable from Jim Bentley to, to keep doing this. Um, you know, he'd, I'm sure he would like there to be a few, the number in the L column to be a little bit lower than it is. Mm. But, but it, uh, doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like, they, it's they just, can it's just one, stay it's just, up. It's just one draw this season so far. So when you're, when you're picking up wins like that, when you've got four wins and one draw and you're on 13 points, absolutely mm. fine. You take yeah. that. Um, rode their luck a little bit, Carlisle hit, hitting the woodwork at, at 1-0, um, which I'm relieved about. But, but they saw the game out very, very well. You've got to be concerned about Carlisle. Talking about somewhat resigned um, managers, you, you get the feeling that maybe John Sheridan's heart really isn't really in this one. Um, it's really, they're, they're a weird team, mate. We need to talk about them another time because they've had some fantastic results and many of them away from home. And at home, they've lost to, who is it, Grimsby... Morecambe, someone else, not their, la- their last three home games, sorry, four home games have been all been losses to nil against Tranmere, Stevenage, Grimsby, and Morecambe in that order. Yeah, and we had a we had a Carlisle fan, and we very much take fan opinion on board. We had a Carlisle fan messaging us to say, "I think you're you're underrating Carlisle. I think you you don't understand. You know, this is before the game, and and I was sort of wondering maybe we have missed something, but." Um, there's clearly an issue with home form and it's something they're going to have to sort out. But we're focusing on Morecambe, a fantastic performance on the weekend, another fantastic away win against a team uh, that, you know, in the sort of game that they need to, to pick up points in. So congratulations to Jim Bentley. Well done to Morecambe. You are our team of the week. As I mentioned, it is tripod week. That is three podcasts this week. Tonight's podcast, 
Tuesday evening, George Ellick and Michael Appleton sitting across the table and discussing uh, his desire to get back into management, uh, what level or rather what sort of team he's looking uh, to get back into management with, uh, his philosophies, his recruitment strategies, his thoughts on data and XG, uh, in-depth parts on his time at Oxford, at Portsmouth, Blackburn and Blackpool, not to mention plenty of interesting comments about some of the players tearing up the championship and their managers. Uh, We were so thrilled to get that opportunity with Michael Appleton, clearly someone that's influenced us over the years and hopefully we'll see him in a job soon. Make sure uh, if you're listening on Tuesday evening, it is out already. So make sure you're listening to that podcast. Uh, So listen to that one. And of course, the Thursday betting show. Busy week for us. Hope you're enjoying it all. Please make sure to support us if possible. You can do so by dropping a link on your club forum. You can do so via retweet or a a share or a a recommendation on social media um, or just tell a mate. uh, We we are always very grateful and um, thanks for your continued support.